0: Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. I'd like to start by putting a picture up, an aerial picture that was taken really way back at the beginning uh, of Harvest. Uh, we, we've been on this property the church was founded in 96 and 2002 we moved here we own 26 acres um, and it goes in that picture you can see if you can imagine uh what's uh, what you can see up front there's probably 12 acres or so and and then we go off into the woods and around and it opens up again in in the back Uh, God gave us this property and I mean, literally gave it to us. It didn't cost us one penny. Um, just an amazing miracle story many years ago. Um, and so after we had the property, we were building, um, our funds up so we could start constructing a campus here. And, uh, they, the architects drew a master plan that had kind of three pieces to it. The first item is right where we are right now. We're in this um, worship center that has a cafe and commercial kitchen and all of our classes behind us. That was kind of phase one, which interestingly, originally was going to be on the other side of the property, um, but uh, they wanted us to pave that dirt road, which is now paved, and spend a $100,000 um, uh, to... C- pave it and curb it and put gutters so the cows that lived on the other side would have something we said well maybe we'll do it another way and then phase 2 would be like a family life and more education and uh, maybe a prayer center and other things and then phase 3 ultimately would be the worship center in between the the two of them once they once they got us to that spot then in this property, they created uh, some more blueprints. I mean, page after page after page. All of it was built around a master plan. I don't know much at all about construction, but it was interesting to watch over, I guess it took 10 or 12 months to, to Get it from just dirt to, to where it is now, and it was interesting to watch all these people come in the The graders would come in and move dirt, and then they would come in um, and pour the foundation. Having a master plan was essential. Everybody know, knew what to do, when to do it, where to do it, how high to build the walls, and all the rest of it. You have to have a master plan. Can you imagine um, everybody just saying, oh, yeah, let's, let's build a church building out there and let's just show up. Uh, where, where should we go next? No, you, you start with a master plan. And it's not just in construction. I mean, some of you are teachers. You have a master plan for your classroom. You have a semester plan or maybe lessons plan for, for that week. Uh, coaches have practice plans. If you're a pilot, you submit a... A flight plan that we, we start with plans. Today, as we're continuing this series called uh, Loving Like Jesus, A Love Like Like, Like Jesus, I want to invite your attention to Matthew chapter 28 and we're going to learn about the, the biggest master plan of all for our world, the one that was written or spoken by Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 28, when we get to that spot. Jesus has already died. He's been buried and he rose from the dead. And verse 16 says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them So here's the context, here's the setting of this passage that I just read to you. After spending three years mentoring and training his disciples, then dying and rising from the dead, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus met with these disciples and he gave them, he met with them for the purpose to give them his master plan for not only them, but for all his followers of all time. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, this is part of the plan that God has for your life. If you're not yet a follower, he invites you to be that today. and We'll say more about that as we go along. So let's It's a very familiar passage. Most Christians have heard this maybe multiple times. But let's take another look at it today. And I want to point out four things that we have to understand about this plan in order to really put it into practice in our life. And the first one is this. The one thing, we need to understand the one thing that it involves. Making disciples who make disciples. There are a lot of words here. In the, these verses, there, 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 there are a lot of aspects to it, but ultimately, Jesus is calling them and calling us to do one thing and one thing only. And the one thing that we're called to do is to make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now let's think about the structure. We're reading it in English. uh, But I want to think about the structure of this in the original language. It really, Greek, it really helps us here. You can see I have highlighted in yellow. There's only one verb. There's only one main verb, one imperative. And that is make disciples. Then there are some participles that support that verb. Go, baptizing, And teaching. So we might picture it like this. Here's the one command. Make disciples. And then there are some words that support it. That's what participles do for verbs. They support the main verb in some way. So it's maybe by going, make disciples, and by baptizing, make disciples, and by teaching, make disciples. You don't have to speak Greek to talk like this. So for instance, let's say, Mom, you send your teenage daughter to the store who's just gotten her license, you know, a few months ago, and you say to her, I want you to go to the store and buy some eggs. Now, of course, you might have to take out a loan these days to, to, to do that. Go to the store and buy some eggs. That's the one command that you give her. But then you might add some participles like without stopping by Rachel's house, driving the speed limit or below, and coming home right afterwards. You see, you're telling her a lot of things. The fundamental thing that you're telling her is go to the store. Everything else helps her understand what you mean by going to the store, right? And this is what Jesus is doing. He is saying, go make disciples, make disciples. And going means being intentional. Um, Be intentional. If you're a believer, if you're a follower, be intentional with those who aren't followers of Jesus yet. Baptizing, that means we start with people, not that baptism itself saves anyone. We're going to have a baptism here in a few weeks, the Sunday after Easter, in fact. Several have already signed up and we hope some of you, if you have put your faith in Christ and you want to express that publicly, that's what baptism does. And that's what Jesus was saying to them. That's what it symbolized. These people are no longer walking their own life, but they're they're my followers. So you start with unbelievers and you bring them to the spot of baptizing them and then you are teaching them. In other words, you are going to train them to obey me in everything I have taught you. He had spent three years with these men. He had taught them a lot. He had modeled for them a lot. They prayed together. They agonized together. He saw. They saw his miracles. They, they were sent out by him. And so the goal is not just for people to become Christians and then stay there, but to actually be trained and to become obedient followers of Christ. So there's one main command. Now, many of your translations, the one that we use in preaching and teaching here is the NIV. And it actually says, go and make disciples. Why does it translate it that way? Let's, let me sh- keep that in mind on the screen and let me show it to you this way. There is a unique relationship between that first participle, going, And the main verb, make disciples, based on where they are in the sentence with each other. There's there's a link that that one has that the other two probably don't have. So actually, I think the best way to translate it would be like this. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, there are nine times, nine verses in the Gospels... That use this same exact form, not these same words, but it's the same exact form where you've got the participle followed right by the command right behind it. And all eight other times it's translated and understood as the participle having the same weight as the main verb. That doesn't prove that it should be done this way, but it makes it very, very plausible. And I think it's the best way to understand what Jesus is saying. He is giving the word go force. (laughs) He is saying, here's what I want you to do. Go make disciples. And it's interestingly, even in, I didn't necessarily plan it that way, but the The illustration I gave about going to the store, I actually did it there, right? (laughs) Go to the store and buy eggs. Um, Whichever way you translate it, the force of it remains. We need to go. Um, I don't know about you, but in my life, I have never, ever had a person that's not a follower of Jesus walk up to me and say, Can you tell me how to follow Jesus? Now, we did have a neighbor, one close experience. A, a neighbor actually said that to my wife, but that was after living around him for quite a while and seeing something different. And actually, uh, the neighbor said to my wife, man, you, you have more joy than anybody I've seen. What Can you tell me about it? That doesn't usually happen. Jesus says, go make disciples. Well, what's a disciple? Uh, sometimes we make it very complicated, but... Simply, there are three things in, in the Gospels for sure. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Matthew eight twenty two. Jesus said to the young man, Jesus, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. A, a disciple is a learner. It's someone who's learning about Jesus. Matthew uh, eleven twenty nine. take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And a disciple is a worker. Mark chapter 3, to Simon and Andrew, Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So we're going to build our main idea. It's in that box there. We're not going to uh, give it all at once, but we're going to build it. And here's the first part of it. Jesus' plan is for disciples to make disciples who make disciples, <laughs> right? He's saying to these first disciples in Matthew 28, go make disciples, but don't leave it there. I want, you to, I, want, I want them to be baptized, and then I want you to train them to do everything I've taught you, which includes making other disciples. So that, I think, is the very first thing we need to understand about this passage. We need to understand that this Jesus is really asking us and commanding us to do one thing. Second thing to properly put into practice is we need to understand who the target audience is. Where are we going to make disciples? Of whom are we going to make disciples? And the answer is the nations. In verse 19, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Now Jesus is expanding their horizons. Do you remember what the religious background of these disciples were uh, or was before they followed Jesus? Do you know what their, their, their religious and ethnic affiliation was? They were Jewish. And if you were a Jewish person in the first century, you did not like, you did not associate with... You didn't have anything to do, and you thought you were better than people from other nations, you, the Gentiles. Well, think about how Jesus progressively brought these men into his mission in Matthew chapter 4. He called them. This is this passage we studied last week. In Matthew chapter four, he said, look, I want you to come follow me. And rather than fishing for a living, rather than putting all your attention on the physical catching of fish, I'm going to, I'm going to help you fish for people. And then in Matthew chapter 10, he sent them out, but he did not send them out to everybody. He sent them out only to what he called the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he sent them out to other Jewish people. I think so far, they're happy with it, right? Oh, he's the Jewish Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. We're going we're to be a part of bringing God's kingdom in, and it's going to be a Jewish kingdom. And now... When he comes to Matthew chapter 28, it's hard for you and to me to realize how radical this was for them. Now he says, go make disciples, not just in Israel, not just in Galilee, not just with people that are near you or like you. Go make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of the Gentiles is what the original word is, the ethne. These people whom you have been trained your whole life to reject because they're not like you. Those are the people, those are the places that I want to send you. From now on, the world is going to be your field. You are not going to just stay right in Jerusalem. And we know that when we get to the book of Acts after Jesus went back to heaven and it was amazing how this amazing day of Pentecost came and Jews had gathered from all over and the Holy Spirit came on them and then they ended up being scattered all over. The target audience for us is the nations. It's not. I've said this many, many times at Harvest. We do want to reach our community. There's no question we want to reach everybody we can reach in our community, but our field is not like a five-mile radius around this church campus. Our field is the world. That's the way Jesus defined it. An unreached people group is defined as a group of people who do not have enough followers or resources to effectively evangelize their own people. Typically, that's defined as a group of people where there are less than 2% Christians. I'm going to put a chart up from the Joshua Project. Maybe later, you may want to go home if you're interested in learning about this kind of thing. JoshuaProject.net. Joshua Project has been very instrumental in helping people understand what the world looks like, the world without Christ in particular. And so they have identified, can you, the top number, can you read it? it, I know it's small. I'm looking at the small screens, but It's not that I have bad eyes. I mean, it's just my screen is smaller, right, than yours. Okay, yeah, I can read this one really well. (laughs) 17,435 people groups in the world. Unreached people groups. Out of the 17,000 ethnic groups of people, 7,425 are still unreached, meaning they don't have... There's less than 2% Christians there. Some of them have not understood or heard about the gospel at all. And basically in population, we're almost 8 billion in the world now, right? 7.9. And it's it's probably over 3 billion people that live in a group like that that can't do what you and I just did this morning. Get in our car, ride down the street, pass probably five churches, and pull into a church and hear about Jesus Christ. 40% Forty percent of the world probably is in that situation still today, and the chart the colored chart is uh, they they grade the 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 progress level in in the group, so the seven thousand four hundred twenty five that those are what they call unreached people group, and then the orange is minimally reached uh, yellow is superficially reached. Uh, Light green is partially reached and then significantly reached is dark green. Now, if you take the fact of all of these unreached people groups and then you take the fact of maybe, who knows, 30, 40 percent of the rest of the world's population that have heard the name of Jesus but still aren't followers of him. Church, we still have a big task to do. (laughs) We have to make disciples of All nations, not just people that are near us or like us. Jesus' plan is for disciples to make disciples who make disciples everywhere. Everywhere. All nations. The third thing that's important to understand in this is our role in it. He gave this command to his original followers in the first century. What about today? What about followers of Christ today? What is our role? It is integral to our own discipleship. Verse 20, when he told them to go and, and to make disciples and to baptize them, he said, then teach the, and teaching them, meaning the next group of disciples, teach them to obey everything, which would mean sharing that with other disciples. And so it creates an ever or, or a never ending cycle where disciples, the first disciples of Jesus, communicated it with others. And then they communicated with others. And they communicated with others and so forth. I, here's a picture of it. They're the original disciples. God used them and commanded them to make more disciples. And if, if our screen was like 800 feet wide, It would go the next group and the next group and the next group and the next group. And it would end up with us. This is who we are today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there was somebody who told you about that. There was somebody who trained you in how to follow Christ. And they were trained by someone else before, right? And they were trained by someone else before And they were trained, and it goes all the way back to these original 11 that heard this in Matthew chapter 28. So let me put a little brain teaser here. Take a minute or two and talk to one or two people around you and look at these four pictures and see if you can identify what they have in common, okay? What do these four pictures have in common. Take a minute or two and chat with somebody around you about that. All right. Now, they're very different from each other, right? Uh, A a church campus, a gas station, an Air Force base, and a football huddle, right? They're very different. Does does anybody... Don't say it out loud, but just raise your hand if you found something in common with all four of those. Did, did, Did anybody find... Some of you, yeah, and the rest of you are thinking, what, are you, what, what, what bad dream did you have, Jerry, that made you <laughs> put that up there? Um, all four of these represent groups that are designed to come together to be fueled, refueled, helped, equipped to go out and do their real mission somewhere else. Right? So a gas station... You don't hang out at the gas station for hours and hours, I hope. <laughs> you go to the gas station, you get gas in your car, air in your tires if you need it, oil or whatever, you get it so your car can can get what it needs to go do its mission and drive you somewhere. The Air Force Base, the planes sit there, but they don't stay there all the time and and the Air Force doesn't brag about how beautiful the planes are. They come in, they're fueled, they're serviced, and they're sent on to the next mission. In a football huddle, most of the time in a football game, they're not in the huddle, right? The offense is not in the huddle. They're, they're making the plays. But before they do the play, they, they gather together, So everybody, let's make sure we're all on the same page so we can go out and do it. And the church is designed to be that way as well. Yes, we come together to enjoy each other and to fellowship together and see people and meet people and to worship God together. But all, all of this coming together is to equip us to go out and live on mission. So in other words, the church gathers... Together, like today, and then it scatters, and hopefully, there will be fuel there. All right. So there's one more. There's four things. So so far, the four things that it's important for us to understand. The first one is that it's it's one thing, and it's making disciples. The second is our target audience has to be not just people near us and like us, but actually the nations. And then thirdly. Our role in this, and it's integral to our own discipleship. Finally, Jesus' role. Jesus sends and empowers the workers forever. And this is found really all through the passage. Normally I would have started talking about this first because it comes to us right in verse 16. But I wanted to, I wanted to like piece it all together and finish here. So, Let's go back to verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This commission comes from Jesus. It's not just a master plan, but it is actually the master's plan. And there are some small details in this text that really reinforce Jesus' role in all of it. So for instance, the little word told, we read that and doesn't, doesn't seem in English to be very significant. Jesus told them to go somewhere, but it doesn't mean just to speak, but it means to designate, to set aside, to command, to order, to direct. In other words, Jesus didn't leave anything to chance. It wasn't like, well, I hope I get to see the disciples again before I leave and go back to heaven. It's like, no, he ordered ordered them. He sovereignly wanted them to come to a certain place at a certain time so he could lay the plan out. He told them this. You would put it in all caps probably. He had an important mission and message to give them. Verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In that setting, legal documents like wills and contracts used this very term authority to indicate the claim or the right or control that someone had over something. And if you read Matthew, there's a lot of emphasis in Matthew on Jesus' authority. In Matthew 7, the crowds were amazed because Jesus spoke with authority. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus heals a man that's a paralytic. And it, he first says, your sins are forgiven. And then the religious leaders are going, wait a minute, who has the power to forgive sins? And he's like, okay, so you'll know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Hey, ri- rise up. <laughs> and he heals the paralytic. It's, it's focusing on his authority. In Matthew chapter 10, he sent the 12 out and he gave them authority to do miracles and to cast out evil spirits. Now here in Matthew chapter 28, it's not that Jesus gets more authority because the whole book has been showing us the authority that he has, but it's, it's a new sphere in which he exercises authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, the entire universe. All authority. Here's another Small but important detail in verse 18, and that's the word came. Jesus came to them. Again, it's easy to read that and go, okay, Jesus came to them. But that word in the Gospel of Matthew is used 52 times. There are 52 times that somebody comes to someone. And 50 of the 52 times, it's somebody coming to Jesus. Only two times is it Jesus coming to someone else. This is important for Jesus. He came to them. He came to them. He instructed them. Jesus had a definite plan in mind. Now, the need for evangelism is great. The need, because of people don't know Christ, and I put up that chart of the Joshua Project, and I think that should move us, that should instruct us, that should encourage us, and that should help us. But I do not believe the need is the number one reason why we do evangelism and make disciples. I don't believe that at all. I believe the number one reason why we make other disciples is because of Jesus. It's because of who he is. It's like, this is his plan. <laughs> this isn't the plan of the pastor or the church or religion. This is, this is the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. This is our Savior. This is our God. And he is behind it all. He is instructing, instructing us for it all. And he, So he said, Therefore, in light of the fact that all authority has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, it... It can be overwhelming to think about our task. It can be overwhelming to think about how big it is, but also sometimes how small it is. Sometimes we can feel like there are lost people around us and we're afraid to talk to them or we don't know what to say to them. Or how can I really make a disciple of somebody else? Sometimes we struggle with fears. Sometimes we struggle with insecurity like... for for whatever reason, right? Here's great news today. You're not on your own. (laughs) Jesus didn't say, go do that by yourself and report to me at the end. He said, surely I'm with you. I am with you. And that is... To me, that's the most encouraging part of this passage, and sometimes we overlook it. We talk about what we're supposed to do, and, and we should talk about what we're supposed to do. But let's, let's rest in what Jesus does. Let's rest in who he is. Let's rest in the fact that this is his plan. Let's rest that we don't make anybody ourselves in our own power, strength, or energy into any kind of disciple. It is God who does that. He just allows us to participate in his process. Amen? Our purpose as a church is not to have great worship services quote great worship services or to establish ministry programs or so that we can gather and fellowship with people like us or to feed the poor or do good social things like that we do all of that and all of those things are good and useful but our purpose is to glorify God by participating in Matthew 28:16 to 20 his plan to make disciples of all nations that means as a church We're never going to measure our, quote, success by how many converts are produced or by local results only or by attendance at church functions, but by our faithfulness to Christ and to partner with him in what he is doing in the world. So will you ask God to help you today if you're a follower of Jesus? Will you ask God to help you In this process of making disciples, the first step is evangelism. Evangelism might sound intimidating to you, but it's really just simply uh, being, doing, and saying. Being, doing, and saying. Being salt and light, being different, doing good deeds with people and for people, and then saying the words of the gospel. And then after evangelism, the next step is making disciples. It's helping other people grow into being more of a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Um, and really everyone at Harvest can be involved at some level and in some ways regardless of your experience or life situation. Everybody can be involved in some ways. No one should be treading water. So for parents, your number one disciples are right there. The, those, those children, child or children that are in your home. That's, that's, that's number one. Others, uh, depending on your life circumstance, but others can engage in intentional disciple-making outside your family. Mostly in our culture, disciple-making is relational. And so maybe, maybe for instance, um, a young mom who has a couple toddlers drops off something that she borrowed from another mom. And she starts talking about how fatigued she is and also how she feels Overwhelms. She's not sure she's a, being a really good mom and this and that and the other. And so maybe part of disciple making in that moment is listening well and loving on that person. And maybe it's a hug. Maybe it's a scripture that you give her. Maybe you pray with her and you continue to come along beside her and encourage her. Hey, maybe it's two men and, and one guy just uh, makes a comment. You observe it maybe in their life, but then you see that they're so busy at work that they're not really spending much time with their kids. And maybe disciple-making might be having coffee with that other guy and just lovingly encouraging him to, to make sure his values and priorities are lined up with what God wants. And then there are ways that are... Uh, contributing towards disciple making that aren't necessarily direct, but they contribute towards making disciples in an indirect. So for instance, like we've got a team getting ready to go to Honduras this summer and some of most of us, only 12 of there's only 12. So only 12 are going to Honduras. So most of us are not going, but, but maybe the rest of us contribute to the disciples that are going to be made by praying for that team and encouraging that team and financially supporting them. Or maybe it's driving a teenager to church whose parents don't... Maybe a a youth group activity, they they have no way to get here because their parents don't attend church. Maybe it's being willing to have conversations with somebody uh, from another nationality whose English, they're just learning English like many, many women do on Friday in our ESL program. Well, let me just tell you this story to wrap it up. Howard Hendricks told the story of an ophthalmologist from Dallas, Texas. Hendricks was a professor at Dallas Seminary, so he knew this ophthalmologist that uh, at one time, he was a believer, he was involved in church for like 12 years, he was a leader in his church, but he had never really told anybody about Christ at all. And some college students asked him about it. And they said, hey, we're going to do some training. Would you would you like to get involved with that? And uh, he said, sure. So he goes through the training and then it lights a fire in him. And so he starts telling people about Christ. Anyway, Howard Hendricks is is telling this story in India. He's, he's doing a training in India and it's a remote part of India. But he doesn't name the doctor because he thought... Nobody knows here in this remote part of India, this ophthalmologist, you know, from Dallas, Texas. And afterwards, a man came up to him and said, you're not talking about Dr. Jack Cooper, are you? And he said, well, actually, I am. He said, well, I went to medical school. It was an Indian man. He said, I went to medical school in Dallas. And while I was there, I went to him for my eyes And he started talking about Jesus, and he led me to Christ, and he discipled me all the years that I was there in medical school. And now, here this man was a neurosurgeon in India, serving Christ in India. You never know how God can use you. But I know this the command is clear, the master plan is clear. But the master is with us. So there's a little question or a little statement as we think about our main idea. Jesus' plan is for disciples to make disciples who make disciples everywhere. Here's the statement for you to answer how I can put Jesus' word into practice. And I'm going to give you... Uh, Three or four minutes here to just reflect on that, to, to think about that. Maybe you might even want to write it out. Again, disciple making, evangelism and disciple making can look very different. It can look different from, for you from one stage of your life to another. It can look different for one person to another. But if, if this is, if you're willing to just say, ask the Lord, Lord, what, what does it look like for me? So just take some time with that. And and if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I've been talking to followers today. But the, the reason why this is so important is because this Jesus that we're talking about is God's perfect son. No sin in him, and yet he was willing to come to this earth to die and pay for our wrong, our sin, so that we could be forgiven and be one with God the Father and have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And I encourage you to open your heart and to use this time to pray and think about him. So just take a couple of minutes now to to reflect on this and then we'll we'll, we'll pray about it together. We'll all pray about it together, but Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, HarvestCharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.